Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for Elliot's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at Elias.com slash events. This is A Christmas Carol Redux on Off-Ramp. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to rise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Take your fellow fools and go away. Christmas. I'm John Brady. The year was 1843, and Charles Dickens, already the most famous writer in the English-speaking world, needed money. So he wrote A Christmas Carol and changed forever the way we think about and celebrate Christmas. It's a beloved story about lost love, bigotry, family, poverty, and redemption. We'll explore all of those in this hour. Let's start with the story itself. Years ago, the whole family would have gathered around the radio to listen to A Christmas Carol. This version stars Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge. The narrator is Richard Hale. Once there was a dreadful old man named Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, he was a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, clutching old sinner. Scrooge had been in partnership for many years with Jacob Marley, so his firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. But Marley had been dead for seven years. Yes, Marley was dead, dead as a doornail. And old Scrooge lived alone and disliked everybody. He had a clerk in his office named Bob Cratchit. And he only paid the poor fellow, who had a wife and four children, a wage that scarcely fed them. The meager office that Cratchit sat in was like a cold, dismal little cell. When Cratchit stopped to warm his hands over the burnt-out coal, Scrooge looked up over his glasses and said, Cratchit, get on with your work. Well, you see, sir, my fire is almost out and my hands are numb. I need another bit of coal to keep warm, sir. How many times have I told you I won't have you burning up my coal as if it were rubbish? But, sir... Back to your work. Yes, sir. It was Christmas Eve, and into the office of Scrooge and Marley popped Scrooge's nephew, Fred. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. The humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Oh, come now, what right have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. Humbug. Oh, don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. (laughs) If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through his heart. Oh, Uncle. Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Well, let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. (laughs) Much good it ever has done you. But, Uncle, 
Christmas is the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their hearts freely. <laughs> and therefore, Uncle, although it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. Good for you, lad. Another word out of you, Cratchit, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Oh, don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Good afternoon. Oh, I'm sorry with all my heart to find you so determined. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. Back to our story in just a moment. Think for a moment of all the radio plays, the TV shows, the movies, and then about all the stage productions of A Christmas Carol, civic groups, colleges, high schools. It may be the most frequently adapted work of fiction in the world. A group of playwrights were recently asked to react to Dickens' work. Here's how Doris Baisley responded. My Carol by Doris Baisley. My Carol's the best. (laughs) Yeah, you heard me. My Carol's better than yours. My Carol can pound your Carol into the ground like a steak. One set. No snow machines, no plum pudding, no period costumes. Handful of actors, prop trunk, and that's it. The best. Hey, my Scrooge doesn't have to be an old guy. And my Tiny Tim doesn't have to be a kid. No kids in My Carol. Not one. The Cratchit family at the dinner table? Hand puppets? Huh? The big turkey? Just like Marley's chain? Pantomime. Production costs? You do the math. Betcha my Carol's faster than yours, too. Lean and mean at 50 minutes plus, no intermission. Plenty of action. I get to the crutches on page one. Nightcap Holly, Tiny Tim's crutch. Page one, scene one, speech one. Just like that, huh? Kids love it. Grown-ups love it. My Carol's the most suitable for children of all ages, bar none. Nervous about religion? I'll forget about it. My Carol's 100% secular. No God, no Jesus, no Christian references whatsoever, give or take the title. Tiny Tim's big line at the end? Bless us, everyone. Yeah, that's right. Bless us, everyone. Same message, no God, piece of cake. The best. You hear that, Guthrie? You hear that, ACT, Seattle, Atlanta, Houston? My Carol is the best. Hey, Barbara, come on out here. Yeah, you field. I dare you. Come on. I know you're there. You other adapters too. All right, listen up. I say it's time we duke this out. Middle of the country, middle of the summer, Kansas, say, uh, in July. Yeah, the 4th. Excellent. Listen, we bust Dorothy, Toto, and the Munchkins out of there for our first annual Battle of the Carols, the ultimate Dickens death match. Face off productions and let the people decide. Make a tag team, maybe, huh? Hey, we can take those guys from San Francisco. Antique costumes, Christmas past, and 18th century satin and lace. My Christmas pass wear sweats, people. Forget antique. Forget all that boring Victorian stuff. Forget England history and Chuck E.D. My Carol rocks. I've seen my Fezziwigs hip-hop to a boombox. My Carol rules. My Carol kills. My Carol sends them out more kind, more compassionate, more generous, tender, humble, sincere. Oh, yeah. Whoever makes the most royalties wins. Okay. All right. Me and my Carol are ready. We are pumped. We're fit. We got our game face on. We got our victory visualized. May the best Carol win. And bless us, everyone. Sir, it's... uh, It's what? It's shutting up time, sir. Yes, 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 yes. And, sir, I was wondering whether you would allow me the day off. That is, if it's convenient, sir. It's not convenient and it's not fair. If I were to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself very ill-used, wouldn't you? And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. But it's Christmas only once a year, sir. Yeah, 
Christmas. Nothing but a poor excuse to pick a man's pocket every December the 25th. And you were clerk with 15 shillings a week and a wife and family talking about a Merry Christmas. Yeah. May I have tomorrow off, sir? I suppose you must. But be here all the earlier the next morning. I will, sir. I will indeed, sir. Uh, Thank you, sir. Tough. Late that evening, Scrooge left his dreary office and went home to his dismal chambers. Uh, chambers once occupied by his dear partner, Marley. It was dark, and when he reached the house, he was amazed to notice that the knocker on the door was... I, I could have sworn that was Marley's face in the knocker. Ah, pooh, rubbish, nothing to it. So up the stairs he went as boldly as he could and entered his dark, gloomy rooms. Darkness was cheap and so he liked it, the old miser. Inside his rooms, everything appeared as it should be. Nobody under the table. Nobody under the sofa. Nobody in the closet. And nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Quite satisfied, he locked the door, took off his coat, put on his dressing jacket and his pointed nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his meager gruel. As he sat looking at the low fire, he suddenly realized that every tile about the grate had on it a copy of old Marley's face staring at him. Humbug. Humbug. Don't believe it. Rubbish. Scrooge walked across the room. After several turns, he sat down again. He threw his head back in the chair. There was an old bell high up in the rooms, and it began to ring, while a noise downstairs made him start. What's that? Who's there? Who is it? Who is it? This is A Christmas Carol Redux on Off-Ramp. I'm John Raby. Gerald Charles Dickens is Charles Dickens' great-great-grandson, and he does a one-man show based on A Christmas Carol. Mr. Dickens, how do you play it? If I'm doing it in a, in a theater, I like to play it fairly, fairly dark, fairly, fairly somber, because it's a monumental thing that's happening, that the Ebenezer is going through all of this on Christmas Eve. And to to heighten the sense of joy at the end. You have to sort of plummet him into the, the depths when he's with the, uh, with the spirits. But ha- having said that, and that makes it sound rather, rather heavy and serious, it, it, any actor will tell you that playing the, playing the baddies is always the best bit, the, 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 the best. So the, the, the Scrooge of the beginning with all those cutting, curmudgeonly lines, he just, what, what is Christmas time but a time for paying bills with no money? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and bedded with a stake of holly through his heart. It's a wonderful line. It just cuts them off. There's an ethical question here, mm-hmm. and that is that wouldn't it be better if Scrooge became good primarily because of what he realized that he could do for others rather than doing it because he was trying to avoid a grisly fate? Well, yeah, you hit on a, a good point that uh, a lot of productions of it are played that he really only changes when he is, is confronted by the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Um, that the rest of the time he, he remains quite quite hard and, and harsh. But it, in the book itself, 
on Christmas Eve, um, a, a young boy singing a carol comes to his door, and Scrooge hurls a, a ruler at the door to, to send him packing. And then when he goes for the ghost of Christmas past, the very first place he visits is his old school. And they see a vision of Scrooge as a young boy, neglected, left at the school. All his friends have gone home for Christmas, and he's there on his own. And Scrooge kneels next to him, and bear in mind, this is the very first thing he's seen. And he says, poor boy, there was a young boy at my door tonight singing a Christmas carol. I should like to have been able to give him a little something. E even then, that very, very first visit, he's, it's just tapping away that he's beginning to see his life needs to work in a different direction. Gerald Charles Dickens, the great-great-grandson of the author of A Christmas Carol. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. Suddenly, right through the wall, and then, behold, inside the room, Scrooge saw before his very eyes... Marley! What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? In life I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Don't you believe me? I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your own senses? Oh, because a little thing affects the senses. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, or a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. Oh, <laughs> oh mercy! Dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? Oh, I do, I do, I do, I must. But, but why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men, <laughs> and travel far and wide and do good. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. Oh. oh, please don't do that. You're shackled. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is its pattern strange to you? Jacob. Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I've none to give Ebenezer Scrooge. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. Hear me, my time is nearly gone. I will, I will. But don't be hard on me, Jacob. I'm here tonight to warn you that you've yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. Uh, you always were a good friend to me. Thank you. Hear what I say. You will be haunted by three spirits. Huh? Without their visit, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more. 
and remember what has passed between us. When the ghost vanished in the dark, bleak night, Scrooge denounced the whole thing. Bah! I won't believe it. The whole business is rubbish. Humbug. Then he went to bed and was soon asleep. This is a Christmas Carol Redux on Off-Ramp. I'm John Raby. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. Alaist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at las.com slash events. This is a Christmas Carol Redux, off-ramps new look at the old classic. Dickens' novelette was extremely popular when it was first published, but it didn't just give people the warm fuzzies. People would leap up from their chairs. We have anecdotes and shout out, you know, I must give money. I must find someone and give money. UCLA English professor Judith Rosen says this novelette emphasized personal responsibility more than Dickens' other works with a social message. Hard Times is, is about the systems that oppress people to a far greater extent than A Christmas Carol is. And even some of the other Christmas books that he wrote later, such as The Chimes, which few people probably read these days, is much more fixed on economic systems and social systems. And I think part of the reason that A Christmas Carol was was so popular and remains popular is that it translated systemic problems, um, problems of parliamentary legislation, part problems of, of capitalism and control of means of production and all the rest of that into very deeply personal terms so that one person can make a difference in this book. It's about one individual transformation. It's about one person saving another family and saving future generations because Tiny Tim does not die. When Scrooge awoke, it was still dark. The chimes of a neighboring church had just struck twelve. Twelve o'clock. It was past two when I went to bed. That clock's wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve. It isn't possible I could have slept through the whole day and far into another night. It isn't possible anything's happened to the sun. And it's twelve noon. He scrambled out of bed and groped his way to the window. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold. So back to bed he went and thought and thought and thought. He said he'd be here when the bell tolled one. <laughs> when the bell tolled one. Humbug. <gasps> one o'clock. The hour itself and nothing else. I knew it. <gasps> Suddenly a light flashed up in the room and the first of the promised spirit visitors stood before him. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Well, what brings you here? 
your welfare. Oh, I'm much obliged for keeping an old man from his sleep. Your reclamation, then. Take heed. Rise and walk with me. But I'm mortal and I'm liable to fall. There, but a touch of my hand. There. And you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall of the room. The city had vanished entirely. They stood upon an open country road with fields on either side. Do you know where you are? <gasps> Good heaven, I was raised in this place. I was a boy here. Ah, you recollect the way. Uh, I could walk and blindfold. Strange you had forgotten it for so many years. <laughs> Lead on, spirit. I'll follow. Come. Do you see that schoolhouse? Do you remember? Yes, yes, yes. Of yes. course you do. You see, the school is not quite deserted, even though it is Christmas Eve. A solitary child neglected by his friends is left there still. Do you know who that boy is? <gasps> of course I do. It's me. It's my own last boyhood. My poor forgotten self as I used to be. Poor lonely boy. I wish... Wish what? Uh, nothing. It's too late now. Too late for what? Nothing, 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 nothing. Uh, uh, last night, a boy was singing a Christmas carol at my door. I should have liked to have given him something. That's all. Come. Let us see another Christmas. Lionel Barrymore is playing Ebenezer Scrooge in this old production. Barrymore also played the unredeemed Potter in It's a Wonderful Life. Bill, this is Potter. George, it's Potter. Oh, you never miss a trick, do you, Potter? Are you going to Potter? This town is no place for any man unless he's willing to crawl to Potter. If you think about it, Scrooge is essentially what would have happened to Potter if he and not George had met up with the angel on that snowy bridge. But those are old shows. Here's a brand new one. Tiny Tim is very tiny. He lives in the firewood with the spiders or sometimes in the silence of the kitchen tools. His legs are bad, one worse than the other, and he walks like a thing of the sea. His family is poor. For crutches, he uses a broken feather and a matchstick. If you can accept ghosts in a Christmas story, you can imagine Tiny Tim as an amorphous, amphibious Stuart Little addressing the complaint that Dickens' story brought gift-getting to a sacred holiday. In this excerpt from Eric N.'s Octoclaws, Tiny Tim chokes on a bone, is mistakenly buried, and in his fight to the surface comes to hate firm ground. He takes to the sea and learns a lesson about possessions. The very first proper storm, Hatchet Cratchit's boat flips and throws her passenger to his fate. Crests drop their roaring tiger mouths down on Cratchit. Cratchit roars back, icy. Then his little lungs tire, and he submerges. He sinks deeper than our loved ones are buried, past the grandmotherly touch of the cloud-shawled moon. He tumbles the way a moth with a heart attack would fall through an autumn breeze in the woods at midnight. However, our man is a hard pirate, and not yet ready for surrender. Blinking, stunned, Tim cuts loose his hummingbird leg. The beak is so fine, he can suck minute beads of air tucked between the drops of water that make the ocean. Breathe, Tim, one mouthful of air at a time. 
He catches air with his beak leg needle and says, I'm good, I'm clever, and I'm alive. Bubbles spiral out of his mouth as he screws out a jig. He snaps his head right, he snaps his head left, and surprises an octopus no larger than his hand. In her fright, she pastes herself over his open mouth and fastens her grip clear round the back of his head. Cratchit's song turns into a scream, and his breath begins to inflate the babe's head. Her eyes grow wider and wider. He pulls a dagger from his belt and hacks off one of her eight legs, but still she grips. He is set to saw off another one when the mother turns, swims up in an instant, and bites the pirate in the neck. Falling, falling towards the ocean floor, Hatchet Cratchit's eyes shut. Doctor, you were badly hurt. Tim, I'm feeling better. Who's the octopus in the hat? I didn't expect you to wake up so soon. You catch me unprepared. I will tell you what I can. Please. The treasures of the sea are of many kinds. Chests of rubies and ribcage chests. Empty bottles. Flat stones skipped from shore. Toy boats. Rio boats. Atlantis. A load of fire hydrants slipped off a barge. These and many more. Why was the octopus carrying these things? She's no ordinary octopus. You will see her but once a year. We call her Santapus, or Octoclaws, the greatest finder of unusual items in all the sea. Once a year, while we sleep open-eyed, well, you saw her deliver presents. With her children? Unlike Earth Santa, she is mortal. She won't live forever. And she has to train her next in line. Don't some sea citizens get much better gifts than others? A gold doubloon versus a rusty nail? Although the gifts seem different, they are all the same. They are all exactly equally lost. For us here below, with no stores or fees, Christmas is not a day for worrying about getting or giving. Christmas, we remember all we've lost and try our faith that all will be found again. Octoclaws delivers tokens that help us be mindful this way. A melancholy day with a light of hope behind it. The spirit led the way to many scenes that Scrooge had long forgotten. He was shown some happy Christmases of long ago when he was a youth. And best of all, the spirit took him to the warehouse where he had been an apprentice. Scrooge peeped in, and when he saw an old gentleman in a Welsh wig sitting at a high desk, he cried out, Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart, it's old Fezziwig alive again! <laughs> and there's Dick Wilkins. Oh, Dick was attached to me. Poor Dick, dear Dick. Oh, my boys, no more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas Ebenezer, let's have the shutters up. Quicker than you can say, Jack Robinson, Mr. Fezziwig. As good as done. The floor swept and watered. Yes, sir. And the lamps dripped. Yes, sir. And the fuel on the fire. Yes, sir. Then home and let's clear away and let's have lots of room. Hilly ho, Dick. Cheer up, Ebenezer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In came a fiddler with a music book. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast, substantial smile. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In they all came, one after another. And so the jolly party went on until 11 o'clock. 
when they parted as happy as happy could be. Merry Wasn't Fezziwig a silly man? A silly man? Why, he was a wonderful man. A fine fellow. Why? Uh, oh, what's the matter? Oh, nothing in particular. Something, I think. No, 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 no. No, I'd like to be able to say a word to my clerk, Bob Cratchit, that's all. My time grows short. Quick, let's be off. Now the spirit took him to another Christmas, when old Marley was lying at death's door. Oh, spirit. Show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight in torturing me? One shadow more. No, no, more. No more. No, no. I don't want to see it. Show me no more. Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you these were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me. I can't bear it. Take me back and haunt me no longer. Take me back. Take me back. There's no saying what else the spirit of Christmas past would have shown him had Scrooge not managed to get hold of the extinguisher which the spirit had been carrying. By pressing this down, Scrooge put out the light of the spirit like a snuffed candle. Then he reeled into bed and sank into a heavy sleep. Still to come, Scrooge gets a Christmas present as A Christmas Carol Redux continues. This is Off Ramp on 89.3 KPCC. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. This is A Christmas Carol Redux on Off-Ramp. I'm John Raby. We're working our way through an old radio broadcast of the story starring Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge. When last we left our hero, he was just about to get a visit from yet another ghost. Shh, quiet. Scrooge is sleeping. (laughs) One o'clock. What's that? What's that ghostly light shining through the next room? I'll shut it out. Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, Come in. Come in and know me better, man. What do you want with me? What have you done to my room here? This is my room, but it's undergone a strange transformation. This holly and mistletoe. What does it mean, and who are you? I am the ghost of Christmas present. Come closer. Fear me not. Spirit. Conduct me where you will. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Gladly. Now, what do you see? I see bright colored lights, gaiety, 
children on sleds playing in the snow. Do you see that house over there? The one with the Christmas wreath on the door? Of course. It's the humble home of my clerk, Bob Cratchit. He's carrying Tiny Tim, his little son. See the boy's little crouch of his limbs. How tenderly his father holds him. Let's go closer. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dear. A Merry Christmas to us all. Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. That was Tiny Tim. See how close he sits to his father's side. And look, he's holding Tiny Tim's withered little hands in his. He fears of losing the land. Tell me, Spirit, if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Oh, no, no, kind spirit. Say you live. Say you live. But the spirit whirled him on to many homes and places, showing him misery and want as well as happiness. Then the spirit vanished, and a new and different figure appeared. It came slowly and silently toward him. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. This was the third and last of his ghostly visitors. Scrooge braced himself and said, Yes, 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 I know. You're the ghost of Christmas yet to come. I fear you more than any specter I've seen. But I know your purpose is to do me good. I'm prepared to bear you company. Lead on, spirits. Lead on. The Encyclopedia Britannica, 11th edition, Dickens, Charles John Huffam. To many, his work was a revelation, the revelation of a new world and a far better one than their own. And his influence went further than this in the direction of revolution or revival. It gave what were then universally referred to as the lower orders a new sense of self-respect, a new feeling of citizenship. Like the defiance of another Luther or the declaration of a new independence, it emitted a whole fresh ray of hope across the firmament. He did for the whole English-speaking race what Burns had done for Scotland. He gave it a new conceit of itself. He knew what a people wanted, and he told what he knew. He could do this better than anybody else because his mind was theirs. The phantom moved, and Scrooge followed and at length the ghost of Christmas yet to come brought him to a neglected gravestone. What's this? These awful weeds. I, I can hardly see. Whose name's written on this crumbled stone? Why, it's Ebenezer Scrooge. Me. Oh, no, Spirit, no, no. Spirit, hear me. I, I'm not the man I was. I'll not be the man I must have been. Good spirit, pity me. Assure me I, I may yet change these shadows you've shown me by an altered light. I, I'll honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Oh, tell me I may wipe off the writing of this terrible stone. In his agony, he caught the spectral hand, but the spirit repulsed him. As Scrooge held up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom shape. It began to shrink. It collapsed. And then... This bedpost, 
Yes, yes. Why, it's my own. This bed, it's my own bed. My very own. This room, my own rooms. Oh, bless it all. I live the past, the present, and the future. I will, I will. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. I'm as light as a feather. I'm happy as an angel. I'm merry as a schoolboy. Hey, hello outside there. What is today? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day! I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Hello, my fine fella. Hello. You know the poultry shop in the next street, the, 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 the one in the corner? Indeed, I do, sir. Oh, an intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? The little one? No, not little one. No, no, no. The, the, the big one. What? The one as big as me? <laughs> what a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to. Yes, my lad. It's hanging there now. Is it? Go on and buy it. Are you joking? No, 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 no. I'm in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here that I may give him the directions where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, I'll give you half a crown. I'll be back with it as quick as a shot, sir. <laughs> Look at him, Ron. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. He shan't know who sent it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. I'll send the poultry with it and the cab so Cratchit will have it in time. No, then I'll hie myself to my nephew's home. Will they be surprised to see me? <laughs> you know what happens next. The Cratchit's meager meal becomes a feast, and Scrooge hangs out with his relatives. It sounds natural to us, but Professor Rosen says it wasn't always thus. Christmas used to be in England before Dickens' time, in the, in the decades before his time, in the centuries before his time, a very public, very outdoor festival, one that celebrated the bonds between, say, the lord of a manor or, or uh, a large employer and his workers. And you would get people at long, out, long tables celebrating and feasting. And um, Dickens popularized, uh, through A Christmas Carol and through his earlier Pickwick papers, a much more private, much more family celebration. Dressed in his best, Scrooge at last got into the streets. People were pouring forth. Scrooge greeted everyone with a delightful smile and... Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge! Uh, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! He went to church and gave a large donation for the poor. He walked gaily about the streets. He never dreamed that any walk, that anything could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he arrived at his nephew's house. can I do for you, sir? Is your master at home, my dear? Yes, sir. Where is he, my love? Why, bless my soul, who's that? It's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I've come to dinner. Will you let me in, friend? Of course, Uncle. Make yourself at home. We'll have a wonderful party, wonderful games, and wonderful happiness. The 
next morning, Scrooge was early at the office. If he could just catch Bob Cratchit coming late, that was the thing he'd set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. Cratchit was full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him coming. Cratchit was on his stool in a jiffy. Then Scrooge came into the room. Hello. What do you mean by coming here this time of day? I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. Yes, indeed you are. Oh, it's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. Oh. A Merry Christmas, Bob. Oh, a Merry Christmas to you, a sir. A Merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I've given you for many a year. I'll endeavor to assist your struggling family. Oh, sir. Make up the fires, my boy, and buy another scuttle of coal before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Yes, sir. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was the second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city in the good old world. He had no further experience with spirits, but lived a happy life ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if anybody did. And may that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed... God bless us, everyone. Yes, Tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone. A Christmas Carol Redux, standing in this week for Off-Ramp, was written and produced by John Raby, with assistance from Kara McGuire. It included selections from To Charles With Love, a special production created and produced by Bridget Carpenter, the NEA PCG Playwright-in-Residence at the Guthrie Theater. We heard My Carol by Doris Baisley, read by Sue Scott, and excerpts of Octo Claus by Eric N., read by Dan Gorenstein, and A Christmas Gollum by David Grimm, read by Barry Cutler. I'm John Raby. Thanks for listening. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.